Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is February the 8th, 2024. It's been 3,664 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 349 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. Today's podcast looks at events that happened yesterday. During the podcast, you will find the Russia-Ukraine war map helpful to visualize the areas discussed. A link is in the podcast description. There are map updates. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian male bloggers, and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. 1. We maintain that the United States has ended financial and military aid to Ukraine, unless there is an unforeseen event that changes congressional leadership before the 2024 elections. 2. In our assessment, the operational situation for Ukrainian troops in the Avdiivka area of operation has further deteriorated, with Russian forces reverting to a scorched-earth strategy, destroying the settlement. 3. Russian commanders have put mission objectives over all other considerations and are committed to capturing the Avdiivka salient, regardless of the cost. 4. The armed forces of Ukraine are facing catastrophic ammunition shortages, contributing to multiple significant Russian advances in the last 48 hours. 5. We maintain that Russian forces have not abandoned their operational objective to capture Chasiv Yar, west of Bakhmut. 6. Combat that closely resembles World War I trench warfare versus 21st-century combined arms maneuver warfare will continue for the foreseeable future. 7. Russia's ongoing political purge is accelerating, and the Putin regime is fast-tracking its transition into a fascist state. In the medium and long term, this shift will further endanger global security and stability. 8. The actions of Congress have significantly damaged the U.S. global standing as a trusted alive democratic states and is causing a further increase in kinetic and hybrid warfare activity executed by Russia and its so-called axis of resistance of Belarus, North Korea, Iran and their proxies. This is the last day for this entry. 9. We maintain that while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the condition is more serious than what the International Atomic Energy Agency is reporting. We begin in Kharkiv Oblast in the Kupiansk area of operation, or AO. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian attacks in the area of Sinkivka and Ivanivka were repulsed. Russian mercenary mail blogger Wogonzo reported that Russian troops tried to advance on Tabaevka without success. During the early morning of February 7, two of the five missiles that struck Kharkiv were North Korean-sourced KN-23 short-range ballistic missiles, or SRBMs. 
the missiles struck the Slubitsky district in an industrial area, wounding three. In the Kremennaya of Luhansk Oblast, Russian attacks east of Terny, Yampolivka and Torske were unsuccessful. If you follow other sources and are wondering why we have discussed recent Russian advances, we already reported on them last week and adjusted our war map. In the Lysychanskyo, Russian forces continued their attacks on Bilohorivka. Ukrainian troops are reporting that some artillery batteries have run out of 155mm ammunition. I'll discuss the ammunition shortages later in the podcast. Next, let's talk about the Donbass. In northeastern Donetsk Oblast in the Bakhmutio, the only reports of significant fighting were in the area of Ivanovske, with no change to the situation. In the Klishivka area, Russian attempts to restore lost positions on the northern edge and east of Klishivka were unsuccessful. In the Turetsk New York area, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported an increase in fighting east of Shumy and east and south of Pivdenne, on the edge of Horlivka. Russia is reportedly using a significant amount of resources in its attempt to push Ukrainian forces back. In southwestern Donetsk Oblast, based on videos we geolocated and available reports, the situation in the Avdiivka, Marinka and Vogledarius has deteriorated significantly. Ukrainian forces have not been able to stabilize their defense lines on the northern flank and are engaged in intense and chaotic fighting. Russia now occupies approximately 15% of the settlement of Avdiivka. Russian forces continue to attack southeast of Novobakhmutivka and east of Stepove, suffered heavy losses and retreated to their previous positions. They are making intense efforts to bypass the Avdiivka coke plant from the north. Yesterday our analyst team provided an in-depth analysis of a video from Avdiivka. Another video was published showing the conditions in southwest and west Avdiivka, including on Industrialny Prospect. The new video showed that the area around the Avdiivka city council building had been destroyed, and the condition of Industrialny Prospect has deteriorated since February 5th. We'll link to the video pictures and additional information in our daily situation report. Information on how to become a subscriber is in the podcast description. Russian forces have advanced southeast of the coke plant and are attempting to flank the stronghold. PMC Wagner Group used a similar strategy in Bakhmut, cutting off the industrial district and forcing Ukrainian troops to abandon the tunnel network and their strongholds. Russian troops have reached the intersection of Sapronova and Nezalezhnosti streets, where intense fighting continues. Battles were ongoing at the railroad overpass east of the Stili at the T542 highway, which is the main ground line of communication or GLOC, that's a supply line, for Ukrainian forces. Unable to surround the settlement and having lost hundreds of armored vehicles, Russia has reverted to the same tactics used in Popasna, Severodonetsk and Bakhmut. Large waves of light infantry saturate Ukrainian defensive positions. Russian artillery indiscriminately attacked the settlement, destroying everything. Overnight, the Russian Aerospace Forces over KS dropped over 50 Fab 1500 bombs, that's 1,500 kilograms, over 3,000 pounds. The explosions could be heard in occupied Donetsk. Moving to assessment. We have maintained since October that Russia is all in to capture Avdiivka regardless of the cost. The first question is the risk of encirclement. Since May 2022, neither combatant has successfully encircled a large number of enemy troops. 
It has to be acknowledged that Ukrainian forces west of the H-20 highway are at increasing risk of becoming encircled. Further, unlike earlier withdrawals, Ukrainian forces can't afford to abandon equipment and ammunition. In our assessment, the time has come to ask the question. Is the continued defense of Avdiivka motivated by sound military strategy or for political reasons? Russia is raising the settlement, and Ukrainian casualties are increasing. For its own political reasons, the Kremlin wants Avdiivka captured ideally within the next two weeks, and no later than March the 13th. The two challenges facing Ukraine aren't easily solved. There is a lack of troops experienced in urban warfare, and the ongoing ammunition shortages have become catastrophic. The counter-argument to this is, where do you fall back to? Russia will just destroy the next group of settlements. Additionally, recapturing Avdiivka, given the strength of the Ukrainian fortifications built for eight years, is going to be exceptionally hard. There are no good answers, because even after a withdrawal, the ammunition and personnel shortages remain. On the southern flank, fighting continued in the industrial district and near the Tsarsko-Hota resort. Russian forces made new attempts to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske, suffered losses and retreated. In the Marinka Yo, Russian troops continued to attack southeast of Krasnohorivka without success. A geolocated video shows that Russian forces made a tactically significant advance northeast of Georgievka, reaching the edge of the settlement and occupying former Ukrainian defensive positions. The map was adjusted. Russian attempts to advance in the direction of Pobeda from the southern edge of Marinka failed. In the Vuhledaryo, a Russian armored attack by the 155th Naval Infantry southeast of Novomikhailivka fell apart. But the Marines dismounted and rushed the settlement, reaching the first group of houses for the second time since November. It is unclear if they were able to consolidate their positions. Based on the available information, we adjusted the map. Northwest of occupied Donetsk in Free Ukraine, Selidova was hit by Russian missiles, wounding at least one and destroying civilian infrastructure. In Zaporizhia oblast, there continues to be only light positional fighting in the Urihivyo. Russian attempts to advance west of Verbov and Robotine failed. The Secretary-General of the International Atomic Energy Agency, Rafael Grossi, traveled to Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, ZNPP, where the 16th rotation of inspectors was completed. At the end of his visit, Grossi made a brief statement. I am uh, coming to the end of my fourth uh, visit to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant uh, today, an important uh, visit where uh, we were uh, able to look into important aspects uh, related to the safety and the security situation at the plant at this uh, moment. Uh, we can see that um, in the observance of the five basic principles established uh, at the United Nations Security Council, uh, the physical integrity uh, of the plant uh, has been relatively stable. There have been less uh, episodes of uh, direct attacks or shelling around it which is a positive uh, development, though we take it with enormous caution. We have always indicated that this is an ongoing uh, effort. And this is why we have been looking at other uh, aspects. Uh, the issues related to the staff and the necessity to ensure uh, sufficient availability of license and uh, 
um, authorized uh, staff um, has also been part of the discussions we've uh, had uh, here at uh, Zaporizhia. Uh, in uh, some, uh, an important visit, one that uh, uh, confirms the uh, importance, the indispensable activity that the IEA is displaying here, and of course our commitment uh, to continue because until the end, until the conflict ends without a nuclear accident with radiological consequences, we will not be able to say that uh, our job uh, is, is complete. Moving to assessment. Compared to Fukushima, which leaked 5.5 tons of radioactive water yesterday, then yes, ZNPP is relatively stable. Compared to January 2022, no, it's not relatively stable. Our chief content officer David Obels has a story in Ukrainska Pravda today highlighting all the problems at ZNPP that aren't being addressed. If you're a patron, you read the special report last week. It was a difficult night in the Mokolaev and Odessa oblasts. In the early hours of February 8, Mokolaev was hit by multiple Iranian-sourced Shahid-136 drones. Private homes, an industrial facility and a sports complex were damaged. The attack sparked a significant fire. There were no reports of injuries. The early morning attack on February 7 damaged 74 private homes and a post office. One person was killed and six were wounded. The drones struck a purely residential area in the northern part of the Korabelny district. Two low-pressure gas pipelines were ruptured, sparking a large fire in the middle of the street. We link to the pictures and videos of the damage in our situation report. Odessa was hit by at least one Shahid-136 UAV, damaging a high-rise building under construction and a college. Russian employed a double-tap attack, sending a second drone to the same area after the first strike. Two police officers responding to emergency calls were wounded. It was also a difficult night in western and central Ukraine. In Dnipropetrovsk oblast, the settlement of Novomoskovsk was hit by at least one Russian missile, heavily damaging the storage lot of a construction company. A second missile was successfully shot down. During the early morning of February 8, a Shahid-136 was shot down near Dnipro. The Poltava administrative and military governor OVA, Filip Pronin, reported that Russian missiles hit the Mirhorod district. There was no other information shared. In the Vinnytsia oblast, drone debris sparked a fire at a civilian infrastructure facility. It was quickly contained and there were no injuries. Lviv oblast Tova Maxim Kozitsky said that an intact warhead of a KH-101-102 cruise missile was found in a field near the settlement of Stry. Technicians were called to the scene. It was also busy in the northern and northeastern parts of Ukraine. In Kyiv, rescue operations from the February 7 missile attack ended. Officials reported four were killed and 39 wounded. Debris from a 3M22 Tsarkon cruise missile, which Moscow claims is hypersonic, was found in Kyiv after it struck an open area near power lines, causing moderate damage. Russia claims that the missile is capable of Mach 9 flight and uses a solid rocket booster before a liquid-fuel scramjet takes over. 
Radar data from yesterday showed that the missile didn't achieve Mach 5, the threshold of hypersonic speed, and flew a path like a cross between an Iskander K and P-800 Onyx. A land-based vertical anti-ship launcher in occupied Crimea fired the missile. This was the first time that Tsarkon was used in combat. The European Union High Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, Josep Borrell, was in Kyiv during the attack and had to go to an air raid shelter. The village of Yunakivka in the Sumo Oblast was attacked, with two strategically critical abandoned chicken barns destroyed. There were no casualties, and due to the remote location in the town, the fire service allowed the buildings to burn themselves out. Here's what happened on the Russian front. The governor of the Belgorod region, Vyacheslav Gladkov, reported that the Zhebeka-1 plant, boiler room and metal works shop were hit by two drones, sparking a large fire. Two people were injured, and nearby homes were sprayed with shrapnel. In the Udmurt Republic of Russia, a massive explosion at the Vodkinsk machine-building plant rocket engine test facility rocked Izhevsk. The Russian Ministry of Internal Affairs said that the blast was caused during a rocket engine test and was part of normal operations. In August 2023, there was an explosion at the same facility that Russian state media tried to cover up. The factory makes Topol-M, Bulava and Yaris intercontinental ballistic missiles, including the engine assemblies. Our analyst team asked me to remind you that satellites see everything. And if we can get some favorable weather, we'll have a much better idea of how routine an explosion that looks like a sunrise dozens of kilometers away is. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Here is my theater-wide update. In the opening hours of February the 8th, Russia launched 17 Iranian sourced Shahid-136 one-way drones, with 11 shot down. We were able to account for the six hits in today's report. Somebody changed the sign! It's been zero days since the Russian government official threatened nuclear war. With the United States in disarray, the Russian Security Council Deputy Chairman Dmitry Medvedev felt it was the perfect time to threaten Europe. Again, quote, Sunak, Scholz, Macron, Norwegian, Finnish, Polish and other heads from NATO countries are saying that we must be prepared for war with Russia. If God forbid such a war happens, it will not be fought in the trenches with the use of artillery, armored vehicles, drones and electronic warfare. Given the superiority of our military capabilities, we will simply have no choice. The response will be asymmetrical. To protect the territorial integrity of our country, ballistic and cruise missiles with special warheads will be used. This is stated in our military documents and is well known to everyone. And this is the notorious apocalypse, the end of everything. Quick assessment. When you know you have game, you don't have to flex. A nation confident in its um, superiority doesn't wave its nuclear weapons in everyone's face. Earlier this month, Ukrainian air defenses shot down the first Shahid-238 turbine-powered one-way drone. Analysis of the debris showed it is heavily reliant on western parts, 
and Russia and Iran are easily bypassing sanctions. The engine is TJ-150 from the Czech Republic PBS Velka Bitesh, giving a 238 a cruise speed of 520 km per hour. The satellite navigation signal receiver and antenna array are from the Canadian company Talisman. The satellite navigation signal processor is from the United States and is made by analog devices using an Intel processor. Finally, the flight control and command module uses a microprocessor from Texas Instruments. The hacker group Prana Network accessed the email servers of IRGC Sahara Thunder, the Iranian company that designs and builds Shahed drones. The 220 pages of documents included technical schematics, parts and assembly information, manufacturing procedures, build costs, and the contracts between Iran and Russia. The initial bid from Iran was an eye-watering $375,000 per Shahid-136, with Russia agreeing to a sliding scale of $193,000 to $290,000 a unit, depending on volume. The technical information revealed that production cost is $49,000, and Russia is paying 10 to 15 times more per drone than original estimates. The total value of the contract is $1.75 billion for up to 6,000 Shahed drones, and Iran is paid with gold coins to bypass banking regulations and sanctions. Where's the gold coming from? Russia is accumulating gold through the shell companies they took over from PMC Wagner Group in Africa, including the Central African Republic and Sudan. The gold is shipped to the United Arab Emirates, where it is mixed with non-sanctioned sources or sold for American currency. The profits Iran collects help support the Iranian Republic Guard and their proxies in the Middle East. During a meeting of the United Nations Security Council, the Deputy Permanent Representative of the United States to the United Nations, Robert Wood, said that North Korean SRBMs have been used nine times against Ukraine since the start of the year. Russian hackers took down the website of the Ministry of Education of Ukraine. Work is ongoing to repair the damage. In the Verkhovna Rada, 159 people's deputies voted in support of summoning Vasil Maluk, the head of the Security Service of Ukraine, or SSU, to testify on his involvement in the wiretapping of Ukrainian news agency Bihusinfo. The SSU monitored the investigative journalists and launched a smear campaign, which was met with immediate backlash in Kyiv. Tucker Carlson Yes, we're going to watch it, so you don't have to. Yes, we'll report on it. Yes, there will be brain damage suffered on your behalf. In a joint statement, NATO Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg and U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that the Defensive Alliance and the Pentagon, quote, have no influence on personnel changes in the armed forces of Ukraine, unquote. And any changes are a sovereign matter. Hello, my name is David Obeltz. I am the chief content officer for Malcontent News. Marina is asleep right now in Kyiv. It is daytime in the United States, and we do have some breaking news. President Zelensky did dismiss the commander-in-chief of the armed forces of Ukraine, General Zelushny, after weeks of speculation. Zelushny's number two, the commander of the ground forces of Ukraine, Colonel General Sersky, has been named the new CIC. 
The rift between Zelensky and Zelushne is well known and spilled into the public domain in November. Zelushny published an essay in The Economist declaring that the ongoing war against Russian aggression was in a stalemate. Sersky has been the commander of the ground forces of Ukraine since 2019. He has several major victories under his belt, the defense of Kyiv and the Kharkiv counteroffensive, and he has controversial decisions under his belt, particularly the defense of Bakhmut. We'll have more information on this breaking news story in tomorrow's podcast. And now, back to Marina. Polish farmers are planning to block the Dorohusk-Jahodin border checkpoint starting on February the 9th, despite an agreement with Warsaw that there would be no more border blockades through February. The farmers vowed they would hold their blockade through March the 9th and would only allow buses, fuel and humanitarian aid cross. The Rada supported the first reading of the mobilization bill, with 243 people's deputies voting yes. The draft will now receive additional amendments and move to a second vote and then a final vote for approval, potentially in March. Ukraine announced and showed pictures of a new drone that is similar to the Russian Lancet. The one-way UAV has a 40-kilometer range and is meant to supplement nighttime operations. The new drone has already been field-tested. And this confirms late summer reports from Russian troops of being attacked and finding debris of Lancet appearing drones. Russian sources report that Ukraine has a turbine-powered drone of its own that has a delta-wing configuration similar to the Shahed-136. Debris showed it had a high-explosive fragmentation warhead and is powered by a German JetCat P-400 Pro jet engine. The Russians were concerned and complimentary of the design and construction, stating it was of high quality. We don't know if this is the drone hitting Russian refineries, but if it is, yes, the quality is very high. Head diplomat for the EU Borel toured Ukraine's drone manufacturing operations and was very impressed. Quote, you don't need any help with drones. I visited some of your drone manufacturing plants and was very surprised by the ability of your engineers to create high-quality drones in large quantities. And at the end of the war, Ukraine will be at the forefront of a new way of fighting. It's really amazing. And I think it's something to be very much taken into account how a country can have such a production capacity of sophisticated and effective drones from nothing in one year. I have to congratulate you on that. Unquote. Borrell also announced that by the end of 2024, the EU will provide Ukraine with more than 1.1 million 155mm artillery rounds. Remember, I said I was going to talk about the ammunition shortage? The truth matters, and these numbers are not what you think. The 1.1 million includes approximately 300,000 rounds delivered between March and December 2023. The EU has committed to shipping another 200,000 shells by the end of March, with the remainder by the end of the year. For Ukraine to match the number of fire missions it executed during the summer of 2023, it will need 1.9 million 155mm artillery rounds from April to December. The tranche from the EU maintains Ukraine's current starvation diet of approximately 2,000 rounds a day, theater-wide. Additionally, the ammunition won't be DPI-CM, better known as cluster munitions, which would aid Ukraine the most in countering existing Russian tactics. 
Ukraine and Sweden have reached a formal agreement on additional CV-90 infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs. The deal was light on details. The CV-90 is similar to the Bradley IFV with a 40mm autocannon and well-liked by its Ukrainian operators. They've seen limited service in Kharkiv and Luhansk regions. And that's what we know. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.